My name's Aubrey. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, if you brought along a copy of the Bible, please turn to our gospel reading that Drew just read to us. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 through verse 24. If um, you're wondering why suddenly we're reading here, it's because four years ago we stopped in verse 18. And obviously, we now pick back up four years later. And uh, we're going to go a ways through Matthew over the course of 2020. And then around 2024, we'll uh, pick back up. And uh, by the time some of you are the age of Tom, then uh, we might finish. We'll see. Now, um, this passage, Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 24, there are two main ideas that Jesus is teaching us that I want to bring to your attention this morning. First of all, he tells us that laying up treasure in heaven is smart, and laying up treasure on the earth, not so smart. Secondly, he tells us what we need to do to become the kind of people who can swim against the currents of mass consumerism and materialism and actually lay up treasure in heaven. So those are the two things. Let's take them each in turn. First of all, Jesus tells us quite clearly, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Verse 19, verse 20, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Treasuring heavenly treasure is better than treasuring earthly treasure. So Jesus is saying there's two kinds of treasure. They're both legitimately treasure. There's the kind that your bank can actually hold. And then there's this other kind that God can hold. There's two treasures. Now, we need to be very careful here. Because we have been ingrained and brainwashed into the habit of thinking that whenever the Bible says heaven, it's talking about the future. And, and so when we do that, when we, when we make that mistake and presume treasure in heaven is about this place you go to when you die, what ends up happening is that you presume Jesus is saying some version of, just chill out about life now and get ready for the next one because that's what matters. But that's not what he's saying. In the Bible, when the Bible talks about heaven, it's typically not talking about the future. It's talking about now. You see, in the Bible, heaven is not a future state or place we go to. Heaven is an overlapping, interlocking dimension of the one reality that we all experience. Um, it's sort of like the weight of an object and the mass of an object. Both are aspects of the object simultaneously. Heaven and earth are both a part of reality now. Heaven is where God is. Our Father who is in heaven. That doesn't mean you're way out there past Pluto. And you know the Hubble Space Telescope, one day it'll lock in on you and we'll see where you are. No, it, it's not God is in heaven now. And heaven is here, overlapping and interlocking. It's a different dimension. And we can learn to love and serve God right now in a way that puts treasure in heaven. Not a place we get to in the future, but a dimension of the reality we live in now. And yes, of course, Jesus, like most Jews of his day, believed that, life, that after death, God would have a wonderful future 
for his people. But that they didn't refer to the wonderful future God offers us by calling it heaven. They called that the new heavens and the new earth or the new creation. If Jesus wanted to talk about the future, he would have used some sort of language like that. What he's doing here is he's telling us that you can actually use your money to make a deposit in Wells Fargo or you can do a thing with your money that makes a deposit in heaven. He's teaching us to establish heavenly treasure now. Treasure that you can enjoy now. Treasure that you can experience the benefits of now. Treasure that won't be the subject, that won't be subject to the problems that your 401k is vulnerable to. So there are these two treasures, earthly treasure and heavenly treasure. They're both about right now. And heavenly treasure is a better investment. That's what he says. And it's obvious when you read the Bible how to lay up treasure in heaven. It's just as obvious as it is when you live your life how to lay up treasure on earth. How do you lay up treasure on earth? Well, you buy it or you inherit it. My grandfather gave me a shotgun. It's a treasure. I love it. It's a treasure I treasure. It's an earthly treasure. My brother, punk, took it duck hunting a lot and never cleaned it and it got rusty. Right? That's what can happen to treasure on earth. We know that. We get that. Right? I mean, when I say punk, I mean like in the loving brotherly way. Now, now, you know how to get treasure here. I mean, I don't have to teach you that. You live, right? You live in America. You, you've learned that for sure. How do you get treasure into the heavenly bank? How do you actually lay it up there? Well, look at chapter 6, verse 24. Look at the very last phrase Jesus gives us. You cannot serve God in mammon. Mammon there means possessions and money. He's talking throughout this whole section we've read. From verse 19 all the way to verse 24, he's talking about what you do with your money. Do you sink your money into earthly treasure or do you sink it into heavenly treasure? If you sink it into earthly treasure, you're making an investment that is vulnerable to theft and loss. But if you sink your money into heavenly treasure, you're making an investment that is not vulnerable to depreciation or economic kind of blips or whatever it's 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 locked in it's guaranteed now how do you do that how how do you find that bank right how do, how do you put your money there how do you get a physical object to become a spiritual object well in the bible it tells us over and over and over and over you give it away and not just it in general, the Bible's even more specific than that. You give 10% away. Over and over and over, the Bible says when you give 10%, it's called a tithe. It's a math, it's a math term, not a metaphor, okay? Um, when you give 10% of your income away, God takes that as a spiritual investment. For example, Mal Malachi chapter 3, verse 8. Will a man rob God? Now, that's a nonsensical question. Like, where does he live? What does his house look like? Like, what does it take to bust through the door? How can you actually rob God? Well, I'm glad you asked. God says, you're robbing me. And you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. 
You're cursed with a curse, for you're robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithes into the storehouse. That's how you don't rob God. That's how you take a physical asset, and it becomes a heavenly asset. You give away 10% of your income. In the Bible, this is the fundamental way you lay up treasure in heaven. Is it the only way? No. It's the starting way. It's the non-negotiable way. It's the central way. Now, why? Why is it that giving my money away qualifies as this good thing? Why is giving money away better than taking that 10% and doing other things with it? Like buying a car or going on vacation or going out to eat more than you go out to eat now? Well, why is it better? Jesus gives us two reasons it's better to take 10% of your income and give it away than it is to keep 10% of your income for yourself. He gives two reasons. The first one is in verses 19 and 20, and the second is in verses 22 to 23. The first one, look at verse 19. And listen for what he's saying. The reason it's better, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. So the first reason is when you make that move and you give away 10% of your money, it, it transfers a depreciable, vulnerable treasure into a treasure that is immune to every act of depreciation and loss that exist. So it's just a better investment. Giving away 10% of your money lays up treasure in heaven. Now, I realize, man, I love, do I realize how um, awful this sounds because my salary comes from you doing this. Right? I mean, it sounds like a car salesman, doesn't it? I'm sorry if you're a car salesman in the room. Or maybe not. Okay. A pastor telling a church to give 10% of their money? I mean, that sounds like so many rackets we've heard so many times, doesn't it? Well, here's the deal. Um, it sounds like that, but it's not. Uh, the point I'm making is not only a religious teaching. It's a scientific fact. It really is. In 2008 and 2010, one of America's leading sociologists, Dr. Christian Smith, <laughs> obvious from his name, right? But that was just an accident. He's the William R. Keenan Jr. Professor of Sociology at the University of Notre Dame, and he's the director of the Center for the Study of Sociology of Religion and Society, and he's the director of the Notre Dame Center for Social Research. He's a heavyweight. He's one of the most respected sociologists in America, some would say in the world. Now, in 2008 and 2010, he and his colleagues decided to figure out if this was baloney or not. They did a scientific study of giving. To, because they recognized that it's not only Christianity, but it's Buddhism. It's Hinduism. All the major religions make this point in one way or another. And so he directs his center for the society for the study of religion and society. And he's saying, hey, the religions are telling us that it's, it's a better thing to give a percent of your money away. So they wanted to see, can they establish that as a fact, as a scientific fact? The, the, the results of their two studies, they did a study in 2008, a study in 2010. 
They studied tithing, and they gathered together quantitative data from a nationally representative survey and qualitative data from in-depth interviews. The results were published by Oxford University Press in two books. The first book in 2008 called Passing the Plate, Why American Christians Don't Give Away More Money. And the second book, The Paradox of Giving, Giving and Receiving, Grasping What We Lose. Giving we receive, grasping we lose. All right. What they found in their studies was empirically verifiable data that those who have developed the habit of tithing, of giving away 10% of their income, that as a group, they are happier, healthier than those who do not. They have a much richer experience of life. Their lives are marked significantly more by purpose and they have significantly lower levels of depression and anxiety disorders. Not every single person who ties versus, but as a group, these two groups do. Here's a quote. The paradox they found, they said, the paradox of generosity, when you give away, you get. They said the paradox is a sociological fact. Confirmed by evidence drawn from quantitative surveys and qualitative interviews. By clinging to what we have, we lose out on higher goods we might gain. By holding on to what we possess, we diminish its long-term value in our lives. In protecting ourselves against future uncertainties and misfortunes, we become more anxious people about uncertainties, we become more vulnerable to future misfortunes. In short, by failing to give our money away to care well for others, we actually do not properly take care of ourselves. People who do not tithe end up viewing themselves as if they are holding basins, collecting more and more resources, without realizing that their concave lifestyles drain those basins, hollow them out in health and vivacity and happiness. That's, in other words, that's a sociological study and a sociological way of saying exactly what Jesus said. It's smart to do this. It's just better for you. It's dumb not to do it. It's bad for you. That's all Jesus is saying in the first couple of verses. And then he gives, so that's his first reason. Give away 10% because it's better. It works out. All right. His second reason is in verses 22 and 23. Here he says, not only is it better for you, but laying up heavenly treasure by giving away 10% of your income makes you a better person. More moral. More kind. More helpful. You just become better. Verse 22, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Now look, this is hard for us to get because it's a euphemism we don't use anymore. Basically, they're saying that who you are comes out through your eyes. Uh, If you're bad, if there's darkness in you, It comes out through your eyes. If you're good, if there's generosity and kindness in you, it comes out through your eyes. And here's the deal. The good eye and the bad eye all through the Bible means generous and stingy. 
In the Bible, the evil eye is not this magical evil eye thing. In the Bible, over and over and over, the evil eye, that's an ancient way of describing stinginess. In other words, if you're filled with light and goodness inside, it will come out in generosity. If you're filled with darkness inside, it will come out in stingy. And then, and then the last phrase he said is, and if it's stinginess coming out of you, how dark are you really? Like, this is a leading indicator of stinginess is not the only darkness in your life. You're swimming in darkness. So what he's telling us here is that giving away 10% of your money makes you better. Not giving away 10% of the money makes you badder. Or however you want to say it, worse. Christian Smith and his team, they found this out. They found that nearly half of all Americans do not give away a single dollar of their money voluntarily. By their own admission. Like admitted. Don't give away not even a dollar. Another 41% of Americans only give away under 2% of their income. It's only 3% of Americans that give away 10% of their money. If those 3% of Americans stopped giving, the entire social sector that depends on voluntary giving would cease to exist in America. People say Americans are generous. No. A few Americans are generous. The point Jesus is making is that giving your money away makes you into a good person, a person filled with goodness and light. And this is not only a religious teaching, it's a scientific fact. Smith and his team found conclusive, reliable, empirical, verifiable evidence that people who do not tithe as a group end up apathetic to the problems around them. They just don't care. They hunker down as a group with either alone or just with their immediate family. They think of the needs of other people instinctively as an imposition and an inconvenience. Self-preservation and financial security become the main standards by which they assess their lives. And they found that people who tithe as a group, quote, these people see the beauty of life, the value of solidarity with others and the poor, and they see themselves connected to all of humanity. Their perspective about the world tells them that the world is a place of abundance. They take the hardships that the other group experiences, and they experience, they both experience hardships, but they take them in stride, believing that life is good and still worth living, beautiful and meaningful. Their problems in life do not set the tone of their life. They enjoy something like, and then here Smith quotes Wendell Berry from the amazing book Jaber Crow. There are moments when the heart is generous, generous and then it knows that for better or worse, our lives are woven together here, one with another and with the place we live in and all living things. The thing that makes people feel involved in their community and connected to their community and connected to the hurting in their community and the people they live with and the people they live next door to and the, and the environment itself, the mechanism for that is generosity. Generosity makes you into the kind of person who has that kind of flourishing life. 
Now remember, I started by saying that there were two main points in this passage. The first is that Jesus is saying, it's just a better investment. The second is, if you want to become healthier, happier people who suffer less depression and enjoy more personal growth, and you want to become kind and connected to each other and the environment and the place, then give 10%. If you don't give 10%, no matter how much you want those things, your heart's going to tick, 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 tick away from those things. Now, that's the first thing. The first major point is, why? Why is it better to do this thing Jesus is saying? And for those of you who, like Susanna Lamont, believe in the Bible, Susanna said to me, Aubrey, if the Bible says it, I just believe it. For those of you like Susanna, well, Jesus says it. For those of you not like Susanna, you're, you're the opposite. Like, well, just because the Bible said it, that doesn't mean I believe it. Well, then I gave you the God of science. I mean, maybe you can build your life on that, right? Science has said this is true. Okay, now, the second main point of the passage Jesus teaches us here is if that is true, if it's better to give than to keep, how do we get there? Because you see, wanting to get there won't get you there. Because we live in a market-driven, consumeristic culture. And everything is telling you that this does not work. Like your instincts are saying, but if I give away this tithe, like, look what I don't get to get. Janelle and I did some calculation this week. We've given away, we've always tithed, and we've given away so much money in our life that it would have paid for our house. We would have no mortgage today. Now, that's legit. Like, we gave away a house. Now, that would be a lot of good things, right? I mean, I would like not having a mortgage now. But we actually gave away that. Now, there's no denying that that's a thing that would give us pleasure. But what, what this is saying is that what we've gotten in return is better. It's actually better. It, it's more valuable in life giving than that. Now, it's one thing to see all that evidence, but how do you actually live into that? I mean, how do you actually wake up one day and say, better than that vacation, better than that new car, better than that upgraded house, better than going out to eat more, better than having the kind of life that my friends have, better than that is to have less than that. How do you actually become that kind of person who doesn't just believe that, but actually lives that? Well, the good news is Jesus doesn't leave you without a lifeboat. He gives you three actions that you need to take in order to live this out in your life. First, he says you have to decide that he's God and money is not. You have to plant that flag. Second, he says you've got to learn that what I'm telling you about money is true. You've got to really know this stuff. And thirdly, he says you need to make a habit out of giving 10% your money away. It's got to become a habit. Okay, the first. Jesus says here, you've got to decide he's Lord. Look at verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. So the last, when he's doing this, all this uncomfortable talk for us about money, the last thing he says is it's really about worship. It's really about who your God is. It's really about the Ten Commandments. That's what this thing is really about. It's not about Something more basic than that. People who generously give away their money, a tithe, are people who recognize that what they do with their money flows out of the center of their life where they're related to God. 
There are people who know that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And so just like you entering into a relationship with somebody, they begin to affect you. When you enter into a relationship with a God who gave his son, you become a giver. That, that, that at the center of all reality is God and he's generous and giving and people who love him and are loyal to him and put their faith in him, they begin to act like him, not in vague, ambiguous ways, but in the specific way of what their money. And here's the other thing. The more you act like God, the more you become more like God. What happens is, what Christian Smith and his team discovered in their, in their studies, they discovered that people who give away 10% want to give away more. They love it. Not always at the beginning, typically not at the beginning. I, I can't tell you how many times Christians I know who tithe delay retirement. So they can keep giving and resist retirement because they'll have to give less money away. It's not uncommon to meet someone who tithes and wants to grow wealthy fundamentally so that they can give more away. I, I really can't tell you how many times I've, as a pastor, experienced this with people. And I'm not saying that it's easy to part with the comforts and the pleasures and the things that money can give you. It's not. When I realized this week that I gave away a mortgage, it wasn't entirely a happy feeling. <laughs> and when Janelle and I sat down this week to talk about what we're going to give for this year, we feel it. I'm not, saying, I'm not trying to let you think it's easy. It's not. The point is that the first action you have to take is put a flag in the ground. Jesus is Lord and money is not. And what you do with your money is about the God you serve. All right, number two, the second action Jesus gives us is you have to learn something. You have to learn to see the truth about giving. To become people who lay up treasure in heaven... You've got to see what Jesus is saying in this passage. And if me talking about it helps you see it, if the, the sociological evidence helps you to see it, whatever way you get there, you've got to not, you've got to bring it from out there in the ether into your own imagination, into your own deep core central beliefs. You've got to really learn that, verses 22 to 23, giving away will make you a better person. Keeping will make you a worse person. You've got to know that and believe that, not just have heard it once and then, oh yeah, I remember hearing that, but it's got to actually be a thing you're owning. And in verses 19 to 20, you've got to really know that that's a better investment, that it really will pay back better dividends. Now, remember, I'm not saying... Look, none of this means go give it all away. I know Jesus told one guy to give it all away, but he didn't tell every guy that. Jesus talks a lot about money, but he never talks about money in the same way. I mean, to one guy, he says, give it all away. To the other guy, he says, let's drink. Let's eat your food. 
Really. I mean, Jesus spent so many times in the homes of wealthy people enjoying their food and drink. You know what his reputation was? You know what he was called? A glutton and a drunkard. You don't get called uh, a glutton and a drunkard if you never eat and never drink. No. And see, Jesus is nowhere in the Bible does it ban having possessions. Nowhere does the Bible forbid private property. Nowhere does the Bible prohibit making provision for the future of yourself and your family. In fact, the Bible praises the ant for storing in the summer the food it will need in the winter. That's Proverbs chapter 6. And it declares that the believer who makes no provision for his family is worse than an unbeliever. The Bible doesn't prohibit. I'm not, I'm not saying, oh, if this is true, then give it all away. It's even better. That's, that logic doesn't always work that way. I'm also not saying that Jesus is prohibiting you from enjoying the good gifts that your money allows you to enjoy. Enjoy them. In fact, the Bible says it's wicked to despise the good gifts of God. And it's godly to receive them and enjoy them. No, the point is, give away 10%. That's what we're talking about. The, the point is, we need to learn, to really, really learn that giving away 10% of your income is generous. It's very generous. It's more generous than 97% of Americans. All right, so that's the second thing. Jesus gives us three basic actions we need to do to lay up treasure in heaven, to become the kind of people who can pull this off. First, make an intentional, willful, firm decision that Jesus, not money, is your God. Second, learn the real truth about giving your money away. And third, make a habit out of giving your money away. Actually do it. Actually go home and figure out how much you gave away last year and figure out how much you made. And if it wasn't 10%, own up to it, and this year give away 10%. Practice tithing until it becomes a habit at the center of your life. And don't think that when you make more money, then you'll start tithing. Um, so all the, all the surveys done in America on um, income brackets and giving, the more money people make, the less percentage they give away until you get to the highest bracket of income in America. But until that bracket, it goes down. The more a person makes it. In other words, there's a lie. The lie is that once I secure a certain standard of living, then I can give away 10%. 10% is not what you arrive at. It's where you start. It's the training wheels, not the goal. And if your life doesn't allow you to give 10% away, then change your life. Sell your house. Get rid of the extra car. Go out to eat less. Eat beanie weenies for a while. I mean, because here's what you're doing. You're actually committing yourself to a course of action that makes you less happy and less healthy and more prone to anxiety and all, all that kind of stuff. Like, it's worth it. Now listen. Are there exceptions to this stuff? Are there nuances? Sure there are. Obviously. Don't use that to trump what he's saying here. Was Jesus not smart enough to realize that there are times in life where this literally is not possible? The problem is not his intelligence. He understood all of that, but he chose to speak in a way here where he's, he's saying it's either or. Go back to verse 21. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Here, here's what's going on. One way to interpret that is look at your checkbook and you'll see your priorities. That your giving shows or makes visible your heart. 
That is not what he's saying. That's true, but it's not what he's saying here. What he's saying here is the opposite of that. Give and your heart will get there. That giving is the mechanism to get your heart to be generous. Jesus is not teaching that your money follows your heart. That's true. It's just not what he's talking about in this moment. What he's talking about here is your heart follows your money. So you want to become a generous person? Start giving away. 10%. And you know what? Again, the scientists figured out this was true. What they learned is that people who gave away 10%, as time went by, they gave more of their free time away. They volunteered more in their community for things that needed doing. They gave, it boiled down to super pedantic stuff. They gave more rides to people who needed a ride to run an errand than the group who didn't tithe. As time went by, tithing made them generous in all the areas of their life. What what I'm saying is that giving away 10% of your money jams a spoke into the relentless wheel of idolatry that our culture is riding on. Giving cast money down from the throne of your heart. When we release our grip on money, we free up our heart and our hands to serve more. When we give, the Spirit, inha- the Spirit of God inhabits our generosity and works to reshape our hearts into the image of God's heart. Through giving, God will change your heart. Now, Full disclosure here. I think you should give all of your tithe to the church. And everything you give over that, you give is over that to all the other things you're giving to. Now, that's what I think. There's this pastor up in New York named Tim Keller. He's way smarter than me, way more godly than me, knows the Bible a thousand times better than me. He's a much better pastor than me. He's one of the great gifts to the church in America. He disagrees with me, so he's probably right. He says, give, give 10% away. You don't have to give it all to the church. Give some to the church. Give some to your favorite, like, good works in the community. I think he's wrong. He's probably right. But there you have it. Now, I'm going to wrap it up. Look what Jesus does here. In the first paragraph, 19 to 21, he says two treasures. In the second paragraph, 22 and 23, he says light and dark. And then in the third paragraph, he says, two gods. Do you see how binary he's being? He's like one of these teachers that sees no room for nuance, right? There's only two treasures in this life. There's only, you're either good or you're bad inside, and you either worship God or you worship money. Like, now, does Jesus not know that it's actually fuzzier than that? Is Jesus confused? Does he think that those of you in this room who are kind of trying to pull it off both, you're just all bad or you're all good? No, he doesn't. Why is he talking in this way? Because... The critical issue is for you to choose one or the other. He's using a speech technique that forces a choice. You have to choose. You cannot work for God in moonlight for money. Take your pick, and you only get one pick. And the acid test is not what you say, but what you do. Not what you promise in words, But did you give away 10% of your income? It's not possible to have two lords. And when God says not possible, it's a bad idea to correct him and say, yeah, it is. Let's pray.